0: She's an organizational psychologist, researcher, and a New York Times bestselling author of Bankable Leadership and Insight. She pairs her scientific grounding in human behavior with a pragmatic approach to professional development. With a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, she leads a boutique executive development firm that helps companies succeed by improving the effectiveness of their leaders and teams. Her diverse clients list includes organizations like T-Mobile. KPMG, Walmart, IBM, Royal Bank of Canada, Vale Resorts, and the Miami Heat. Thinkers 50 has named her one of the top 30 emerging management thinkers in the world and a top 50 world leader in coaching. She contributes to Harvard Business Review and has been featured in Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Forbes, and Fast Company. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with Tasha Yurek. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it. There are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live The way we work the way we play and the way we serve others and i believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed those are the individuals i call curve benders so in each episode i want to share with you insights from our research from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curve benders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. If you've heard me deliver a keynote speech, present a recent interactive online roundtable, or have been a listener of the Curvebenders podcast, you know that we're getting great traction in our newly created NOR Forum. It's a member based community to ask questions, join discussions, and get daily access to me and my content. From ideas on your strategic relationships to co-creating new market opportunities, to my current research and writing curvebenders as strategic relationships in your non-linear growth, to what I'm thinking and reading, replays and downloads of past podcasts. Join this free community to not just consume great content but apply it in your personal and professional growth journey. Learn more at norgroup.com/forum. For exclusive content, resources, and events. Welcome to the Curvebenders Podcast. Uh, my guest today is uh, a friend, a colleague, a corporate psychologist. And someone that is just infectious in her personality. Uh, so you would be not be surprised that our nickname, my nickname for her is Little Sis, <laughs> but that is out of uh, admiration uh, and not anything else. So I want to welcome Tasha Uric to the Curvebenders podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is great to have you. Thanks for making the time to to join us. And uh, for those of you maybe new to the podcast, we're talking about curve benders as these strategic relationships in our future who dramatically change both our direction and destination. Tasha, for people who may not know as much about your your, your background, can you briefly talk about where you've been, what you've done, and how you've gotten to here in 2020?
1: I, so I've been an organizational psychologist for a little more than the last 15 years. And I have, um, ever since my mother started a company and grew it successfully, I have always been interested in the intersection between business and psychology. So, so how... Do people work? How can people bring out their own potential, the potential of others in order to create prosperity for all involved? Um, and, you know, again, for me, having that formative couple of years of my life where I was five and six years old, and I was going to the office with my mom and seeing her be um, a boss and inspire people and lead them to greater things. I think it set the course for me very, very early on in my life. And I was excited to be able to discover this field of organizational psychology. And flash forward to now, I uh, have had my own consulting company for the last uh, about eight or nine years now. And I help successful executives be even more successful. So I do that through uh, coaching of senior level, usually C-suite folks. I do it by working with executive teams to heighten their performance and success. I do it by speaking. Um, I, I, I'm i so lucky to speak to leaders all around the world on the, the work that I do. And I do it by writing. And uh, I, I've So far, I'm not done yet, but I've published two books. One of them uh, debuted at the number eight spot on the New York Times bestseller list, Bankable Leadership. The other uh, is on my five-plus-year multi-country study on self-awareness and leadership and why it matters, and that was called Insight.
0: So why organizational psychology? And I'm really fascinated. The executives you work with, the executives you coach what are some of the bigger challenges you're uncovering in their either willingness or ability to lead?
1: So I think the answer to the first question is the second question, um, which is my, my complete and utter fascination with the power um, that leaders have to affect the lives and livelihoods of the people they lead. And so I see it as a, you know, not just a, a professional obligation or a passion, but as sort of a, a moral one to help my clients be as successful as they possibly can in doing that. And some of the biggest challenges that, that uh, you know, you and I both see them run into are, are things like, uh, you know, Am I really coming across the way I think I am? Am I, you know, I have good intentions. I want people to be successful. I want to be a good boss who's motivating and, and, you know, keeps people responsible for what they're doing. Um, but is that really what's happening? And what we've discovered in our, in our research on self-awareness, and again, this isn't just my opinion. This is what the data say is that the more senior you become in an organization, the more promotions you receive, sort of the higher up you go, the less self-aware you tend to be. And so that's why I think it's really important. Um, you know, everybody needs to be more self-aware. We can certainly talk about that. But for senior executives to do the work they need to do in order to make sure they're having the intended effect on their teams and their organizations as, as they
0: hope. I'm fascinated by that comment or that, that, that finding that you know, the higher you go, the less self-aware. Why? Why do you believe that is? Or, or and why do you believe uh, so many leaders have such high uh, admiration? I don't know if that's the right term or not, but <laughs> expectations of their own self-awareness. There
1: are so many reasons. Uh, I'll give you three. So the first reason that senior level leaders tend to be less self-aware is a question of numbers. There are simply fewer people above them who are providing them feedback on a daily basis. Uh, The second thing is that it is hard to speak truth to power. So the more powerful you become, whether or not you see it, um, the less likely people are to tell you the truth. I, I tell a story about Ed Catmull, the the president of uh, Disney Animation and the co-founder of Pixar. And he, he said, you know, overnight, I changed from one job to another. And I noticed that people, you know, I'd walk into the room and all conversation would cease, right? And then the third reason uh, is not one of, of bad intent. I think it's just the way humans are wired is that senior leaders think if I've gotten this far, I must be doing something right. And so there isn't necessarily a need to question what I'm doing on a daily basis. And so we get into this sort of inertia or habit of this is the way I've always done it. That must be the way that you know will help me continue to be successful. And as you and I both know, those assumptions don't always hold true.
0: That self-awareness is such a critical asset and and you're in awe of uh, when you meet a leader who is who's aware of that that their strengths but also are constantly are seeking input, feedback on their growing edges. It's just refreshing. So for those of us – I believe all of us could dramatically benefit from this in the future of how we work, how we live, how we play and give. Give us some tips on how we can all become – Stronger, better, more astute—that self-awareness. So
1: the first, uh, the first recommendation I would give your listeners is a little bit counterintuitive, uh, but it goes back to what we've learned in studying highly self-aware people, leaders, and otherwise who didn't start out that way. And what we discovered was that there's sort of this um, paradoxical mindset that they have that. They are arguably the most self aware people we came across in our research. And yet, they were the most open to learning more about themselves than anyone else. They were the most humble. They were the most curious. And so I call it the braver but wiser mindset. And essentially, what that means is, you know so many of us feel that we are self-aware. I'll give you a quick statistic to hammer this home. So 95% of people believe that they see themselves clearly, that they are self-aware. But our research shows that only about 10 to 15% of us actually are. And so if you do that math, you start to think, oh my goodness, this means that on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves. About whether we're lying to ourselves. So it becomes, you know, I think it's easy to get discouraged by that. But what I love about our, our study participants and sort of what I learned from them personally was that that's exciting. No matter what we know about ourselves, there's always more to learn. And we shouldn't take on this process of improving our self-awareness in a way that is, you know, we're overthinking it or we're becoming neurotic or we're ruminating, but just sort of that open curiosity would be the first tangible uh, suggestion that I would give. I'll give you one more specific tool and and we can certainly talk about more. Um, Almost every one of our research participants that, that, fit that category, Um, we called them self-awareness unicorns because they got more self-aware and it was very rare, um, was that they did something that we named a daily check-in. And what was cool about this is, you know, countered a popular belief, becoming self-aware doesn't actually take as much time as we might think. And instead of spending, you know, hours and hours per week in therapy or journaling or, you know, although some of them did do both of those things not that often, um, we found that they took about 3 to 5 minutes at the end of every day and they asked themselves the equivalent of three questions. The first question is what went well today? The second question was what didn't go so well? And the third question was how can I be smarter tomorrow? And you know that that tool is just one example of the facts that Improving our self-awareness isn't this big sort of life-changing thing. It's about small habits that give us daily incremental insights that over time become incredibly powerful. Mm. Uh,
0: Fascinating. Love it. Uh, And and, uh, again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the incomparable Tasha Yurek talk about uh, just incredible nuggets from... Uh, self-awareness to a lot of things that, Tasha, I, I think you and I intuitively know or see and believe that why isn't this more obvious and why aren't people more humble or curious or what What do you attribute that to? Is it like creativity that we beat it out of them as they go up in the organization or what is that, What does the loss of that come from, do you believe?
1: I find that to be a really arresting question because I don't know I don't know if there's one answer. You know, I think maybe if we even t- take a step back from, from organizations and we think about just life in general in what is now 2020, we live in a world where um, empirically, scientifically, people are becoming more self-absorbed and less self-aware. And there's a lot of factors in that. I I talk about that in the book. There's the sort of failed self-esteem movement. There's social media. There's reality TV. All these things that in some total are just moving us away from that humility and that other focus that I think, you know, don't just make leaders successful, but make us better, more fulfilled, more valuable human beings to the world. And so what's really interesting about this journey of self-awareness is, um, you know, Part, a good part of the journey is just making that commitment. What I tell people when I'm teaching this, you know, when I'm working with leaders all around the world, is the fact that you're here and working on this and recognizing um, you know, that you can improve your self-awareness and you should and there's value puts you ahead of you know, most people. And so I think that's the secret of this is that the people who get it, who are willing to, you know, they don't have to change their whole approach, but just, you know, a couple of small daily habits are the ones that are going to get ahead. I think they're going to be the curve benders as we move forward.
0: So talking about uh, this journey, how how do you envision that journey changing or evolving? So, So if you look ahead in the next decade, are you optimistic that self-awareness is going to improve or enhance? Or I mean, I know you're a one-woman mission and flag-carrying proponent of this, but <laughs> are, are you seeing others invest in this? And, and give, me, give us some of your predictions about the next decade in terms of self-awareness and, and really applying these in, in key leadership principles.
1: I think what will happen as the years go on, and I'm already seeing this in the last five or so, is that self-awareness will become even more of a differentiating factor. And what the, what I mean by that is the people who focus on it will be uh, exponentially more successful and the people who ignore it will ignore it at their own peril. And you, know, you sort of think about the rate of change that we're all seeing in not just in the business world, but in the world we live in today. If we don't cultivate our self-awareness, we're not building the skills of scanning our environment, evaluating our approach, um, clarifying the impact we're having on other people. And as more and more things change and we wake up tomorrow and we realize that the skills that got us here today are are no longer what we need to get us ahead in the future, um, I think it will require so much more pivoting and evolution and change on our part. And so that's why I, I always talk about self-awareness being the meta skill of the 21st century. And I've even noticed in, you know in my, in my organizational clients, some companies are putting self-awareness into their competency model. And this isn't 20 things that are important. This is these are the five things we've identified. We need to make sure that our leaders and our, our employees are, are capable of doing. And so but, I, but what's interesting is I don't see all companies doing that. And my prediction is the ones that are defining this and being really clear about building that skill are going to be the ones who can compete, who can evolve, who can deal with disruption.
0: Build on that idea for a second. So organizations who are putting this idea of of self-awareness in their competency model, can you talk about some of the outcomes you've seen them identify or be able to accomplish dramatically better, stronger than, say, their competitive peers? Well, Let's get specific. So uh,
1: empirically, the beauty of self-awareness is there is so much evidence from from our study and from others about the the tangible business value. So here's what we know. We know that people who are self-aware are better communicators. They're more influential. They have happier, more emotionally engaged clients and customers. They have more engaged employees. There's even evidence that shows that uh, leaders who are self-aware actually lead more profitable companies. So the, the the biggest, I think, misunderstanding about this skill is that it's a nice to have. Um, it's, it's interesting because it positively impacts so many different variables that sometimes it's hard to, you know, it makes your head spin just hearing that list. And by the way, that was only a couple of the examples of the, of the benefits. So I think what I see the smartest companies doing is defining it. Um, I just got off the phone with a a financial services company who um, has a a big initiative to improve their sales effectiveness. And they've identified self-awareness as their um, number one competency for their sales leaders and anyone who's, um, you know, sort of working to get more work for the organization. And the reason for that is, you know, you sort of can paint two pictures. The unself aware salesperson is going to walk in the room, not have an idea what the client wants. They're going to give them a laundry list of solutions. They're not going to have an understanding of, you know, how they need that experience to feel for the potential customer or client. Whereas the self-aware one would have the opposite. They would walk in, have a plan have an understanding of the situation, know what they need to inspire um, in terms of emotions in that person. They would know how to take their perspective and and really target what they're saying to meet that person's needs. So I think when it really comes alive for me is in those specific instances, right? How does self-awareness help you be a better salesperson? How does it help you be a better leader? And so on and so on.
0: So we talked about leadership and I love that example and sales effectiveness. What are some of the other... I don't want to say more obvious, but in in your course of your work with other clients, what are some of the other areas where you've seen that self awareness really make an impactful difference?
1: I'm thinking of a a C level executive I'm coaching right now who um, is extremely effective. And he was extremely effective when I first started working with him. But what um, our working together has helped him do, and not because I'm so awesome, but because he's so committed to this, is have an impact in the areas that he wants to be having an impact. And I know that sounds like really simple and stupid, but, you know, you think about it, if you're a C-level leader and you're walking around every day trying to inspire people to do things, because that's, you know, from that position in the organization, that's where you sit, you you know, you can command and control, but it doesn't get very far. Um, It's allowed him to really make sure that the behaviors he's choosing every day are leading to the results that he's trying to get. Um, you know, they're they're trying to to evolve their culture and they're trying to become a more accountable function. And so, all of those things really start and end with him. And if he's not demonstrating the right behaviors to get everyone there, um, he's not going to be able to produce that result. So, I, so I think that's another example of, especially at a senior level, why it's so important. You know, you, you sort of I can put myself in his shoes. I you know he walks into a meeting. He gives a rousing inspirational speech and then he leaves the meeting and he asks, did I really have the impact that I thought I had or that I wanted to have when I left the room?
0: And what kind of response is he getting back? Uh,
1: What I I would say just to sort of um, uh, condense it is he's getting more impact with less headache and less energy invested. So he's being smarter and more strategic about what he's doing, and it's giving him a payoff um, with a lot less uh, angst.
0: More emotionally fuel efficient?
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that term. I've never heard that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good book.
0: So talk about um, the application of self-awareness outside of our work. Can this help me be a better dad or a better husband or a better philanthropic giver? In short, absolutely. What I love about this
1: skill, uh, and, and I hear this from my clients all the time, and we also know it from, from the research, is that this will impact literally every area of your life. So we know that uh, people who are self-aware have more uh, satisfying and successful marriages they have more um, fulfilling platonic relationships. They are better parents. They raise less narcissistic and more mature children, which I think almost everyone who's a parent is probably striving for these days in 2020. Um, so it's it's really just incredible. And I, I think that's what's so exciting is if I'm coaching an executive on, on you know, this skill, it's it's so common for me to have them come back and, you know, six months after we've worked together. And I say, so tell me the benefits you've seen. And they start with what they're seeing on the job. And then they say, "And oh my gosh, my relationship with my kids has improved. I'm having a lot more fun when you know I spend time with my family. It's just more fulfilling. It's easier. So it, it's so powerful. That's why I'm really this passionate about that skill.
0: So we're talking about curve benders as relationships in your future that dramatically change both your direction and destination. Can you, beyond coaches, beyond mentors, beyond some of the fabulous people you and I know in the Marshall Goldsmith MG100 community, can you think of some curve benders in your own life who've dramatically changed your direction, your destination?
1: Well, if I, can't, if I can't do Marshall Goldsmith and I can't talk about Alan Mulally because <laughs> they're, they're in our sphere, I, one person came to mind and, and it actually gave me an immediate insight that uh, maybe I thought I would share is that people can be curve benders in your life even by saying one game-changing thing to you. And I'm thinking about my boss when I was in the corporate world. Um, my first job out of graduate school, um, you know, almost 15 years ago now, was um, at a big engineering company. And I had a boss named Jim. And Jim was a, uh, uh, he was retired Air Force. He was the kindest uh, boss that I could have ever hoped to have. And he saw some potential in me. And he was kind enough to kind of, you know, take on a a more than a boss kind of role. He would mentor me and coach me. And one day he said, Tasha, I have a writing assignment for you. And I said, yes, sir. What is it? And he said, "I would like you to write about where you're going to be professionally in ten years." And I said, "Yes, sir." So I went away and I took the assignment and I came back and I had basically written, you know, one page about how I wanted to be um, a leadership consultant, you know, and I and I thought like, oh, maybe I'll have written a couple of articles, maybe I'll work for some companies. And um, he read it and he was very kind. And then he said, um, "You're not thinking big enough. I need you to do it again." And and. That exercise was, it, it, this sounds so strange in retrospect, but it was the first time it occurred to me that I could make an even bigger impact. And and um, I get a little choked up talking about it, actually. I have that one page tacked up in my office, the second draft of what I wrote. And um, I've pretty much accomplished all of those things. And. I honestly don't think that that would have ever happened if he hadn't slid that first draft back to me across his desk and told me that, that I need to think bigger.
0: It's almost like he saw more potential in you than you saw yourself.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a that's a key characteristic of, of curve benders in our lives is they can see something that we might not or, or can't yet see.
0: So briefly talk about Marshall and Alan since, since the audience may not know as, as much about either one of them. So,
1: Marshall Goldsmith is, uh, the reason you and I are friends, um, and the reason so many Amazing people have, have uh, been brought together. So Marshall is the number one leadership coach in the world. Uh, he actually has won similar awards like that so many times that most of the organizations that do the ranking have retired him and sort of named the award after him. Said, <laughs> Marshall, we can't keep giving you this award over and over and he just loves that. I think it's so well deserved. Um, but he he adopted a hundred people. In the last couple of years, uh, to whom he was going to teach everything he knew, and you and I are in that MG100 group, and it's just been um, such a blessing. And Marshall is actually another person who I think saw something in me that I I didn't dare imagine was there, and I think there's an element to that of of just being a woman and being a thought leader. And there's, you know, so much wrapped up in that. And he just said, no, you've got to promote the hell out of yourself. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You can't be afraid. Um, and so that's just, he's been such a, a really a transformational figure and in, in not just my professional career, but for me as a, as a human and trying to be the best human I can be.
0: Do you walk in in some of our meetings and ask what am I doing here? Or is that just me?
1: I think, I think we, you know, what's interesting is I did for about a year and a half. And then I realized that I walked into the room and I saw my family.
0: Very true. Yeah, very true. And what's cool is we do more than just talk about work and talk about business. We, we you know, from wine outings and, you know, plays to all the other stuff we've done. It really, really brings people closer.
1: Yeah, it does. It's, and, and I don't use the word family lightly either. I think that, you know, our, our nicknames for each other, big brother, little sister, that's, that's, it's so meaningful what he's created. And, and that's really his biggest, um, aspiration is to make the biggest difference possible for, for the world and for all of us. And he's, he's done that in spade.
0: What an incredible legacy, right? So, just when you see the impact that the ripple effect that his kindness, his generosity, and others that I also hope to have on this podcast from Mark Thompson. I just interviewed Alex Osterwalder and just some incredible minds, but also oh, brilliant. Genu- genuinely, genuinely kind people that are in this community. So, community is also a big part of that Curve uh, story. Um, Alan Malali. Alan Mulally, um, for anyone who hasn't
1: heard of him, I think he should be a household name. He was the CEO of Ford, uh, starting in 2006, who took the company from the brink of bankruptcy, $17 billion of losses to their second best year on record, um, $20 billion of profit. And what he did, it's almost like the the financials don't even fully capture what he did for, for the company, um, in terms of, of really helping it compete for the future. And, um, He sort of took an interest in me. I I was so lucky. Marshall introduced me to him, and I interviewed him for my book, Insight. And Alan and I became friends. He's been a mentor to me. And um, he is someone who gets the importance of self-awareness in a way that I, I think few executives do. Um, and he's just been such a champion of this work and, um, you know, he calls it awareness for everyone, how important it is and, um, just helping to amplify this message. Because if you, I mean, imagine if the whole world was even 10% more self-aware and what that would look like on a daily basis to Alan and I, and to you and, you know, to many people, it's, it's like breathing, but it requires a movement. Um, and he, he's just been, lovely personally to to get to know but I think he's a he's a big player in this movement
0: for sure. And he's also a supporter of your bike ride. I love that. I get your emails. <laughs> I get the emails of yes, I'm I'm doing this bike ride and talk more about that in a second but I'm doing this bike ride and the the title sponsor is Alan Mulally. <laughs> yes, that <Dad> Alan Mulally.
1: <laughs> he's so generous. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's rare that you meet your heroes. And they're not just everything you expected, but they're more than you expected. And I, I, I just I can't say enough great things about that man. He is just a, a wonderful
0: human. What's the bike ride? Because you've done it several years.
1: So uh, like probably many of your listeners, uh, I've been personally affected by multiple sclerosis. My stepdad, Richard, who has been... Um, not like a second dad, but a second dad to me my entire life, has had it for about 20 years. And, you know, he's had his ups and downs, and, and right now is kind of a downtime. Uh, so, about 10 years ago, I started riding 150 miles over the course of two days for the National MS Society to raise money to fund uh, MS research and treatment. And it's, I, always, I hate asking people for money for donations. It, it, it physically pains me, but I do it because of how important it is. And I, I don't even know what we've raised if I added it up over the years, but it would certainly be in the five figures, if not the six. Um, And the reason I like doing it is it's always fun to do a physical challenge, you know, because that's fun in life, but it makes me feel like I'm actually doing something to help.
0: That's fantastic. And a great example of it isn't just about work. It really is also about how we live, how we play and we give. Tasha, for those who want to learn more about you, your work, your writings, your books, your speaking, what's the best way to learn more, but also get in touch with you? So I, uh,
1: the way I answer this question is always the same, um, which is, it's not about me. So what I would direct people to if they want to learn more about self-awareness and just the topic in general, we created, um, we are calling we call it the insight quiz. And it's a five-minute, 14-question assessment that you fill out and the system will send it to someone who knows you well for them to fill out. And once we have both of those responses, the system will send you this very cool five-page report on your high-level uh, picture of your self-awareness and then a couple of tangible ways you can start to improve it. Um, and now, of course, if people want to find me, I'm very findable. But if you go to the it's the insight quiz.com. So www.insight-quiz.com. That is also a portal into probably more than anyone ever wants to know about me and my work.
0: That is fa- fabulous. So thank you for making the time. Thanks for being a guest on the Curve Vendors podcast. And great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for being my friend. Of course. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book on why strategic relationships will power your non-linear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our Nor Forum community. So go to norgroup.com slash forum and check out the Curve Benders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curvebenders podcast on the incredible value of self-awareness with my friend Tasha Yurek. She is just such a uh, fun person to be around, and and, uh, maybe infectious is not the right term these days, but uh, it really is a joy to be around her and and learn from her, and the insights are amazing as always. So just a quick summary. Uh, I was fascinated by her comments of the reasons we're not as self-aware. She said, you know, few people – uh, are above most leaders with the ability to give them feedback, it's difficult to speak truth to power, and, uh, and they've been successful for so long that, that uh, they must be doing something right. Uh, the idea of how we can all get better, right? So being most open to learning more about yourself, staying humble, staying curious, uh, braver, uh, is uh, was, was really resonate with me, and and this idea of daily check in, right? It really wouldn't take that long to take three to five minutes to ask what went well today and what didn't, and how can I be smarter tomorrow? So, I think those are really really valuable. Uh, I love the idea of self awareness as a meta skill, uh, in the future, and integrating that where possible into a competency model for the team, and uh, and 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 then. Her comments about uh, curve benders seeing a best version of us. I've actually incorporated that into my writing in the book and uh, examples of Marshall Goldsmith and Alan Mulally and how awesome for her former boss, Jim, to give her that writing assignment of what do you want to be doing in 10 years and making her go back and think bigger. And the fact that she still has it, uh, I think, is a testament to Uh, what amazing bosses, self-aware amazing bosses can uh, really help see uh, the best version of us. So don't forget, I turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles. So check them out in our free member-based community, NOR Forum. Again, join us at norgroupcom slash forum. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content, most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm using the hashtag Curvebenders podcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates.